And so, Lord, we do praise you. We lift your name up on high. May we be the church. May you send us out this week to be the best examples of Jesus that people run into. May we own your prayer that you taught us to pray. And we all said, amen. Well, we've been working through the Lord's Prayer, and we come then to the petition uh, about give us today our daily bread. Um, And so it goes like this out of Matthew chapter 6. If you're in your Bible, if you're bringing it up on your phone or whatever, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Jesus said to his disciples, pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, may your name be revered as holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then verse 11, give us today our daily bread. You know, uh, over the years, um, I've attempted to teach Lakeland how to pray really like a contemplative monk, whether you know it or not. Um, And there are really two broad categories of prayer, and of course, anytime you're broad categories, it means it's not going to be accurate, but two broad categories. There's the willful conscious prayer that we're all really familiar with. There's the willful conscious prayer, oh Lord, may my child's fever break. We pray that in the middle of the night. Oh God, keep my son safe on his senior trip to Padre Island. There's a prayer. You know, uh, the other, other category then of prayer, other than the conscious willful prayer then, is a prayer without ceasing. It's an unconscious prayer. It's a walking prayer. It's a waking prayer. It's almost the same as your thought. Almost. The prayer that comes unbidden and uncalled for. The conversation that we have with ourselves all day long, and yet God is present. So there's the two categories, the conscious and really the unconscious prayer. And so this fourth petition, give us today our daily bread, out of the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray, is really in both categories of prayer, the conscious and the unconscious. Yes, it's a prayer for food and shelter, the most obvious thing. I need food, Lord. I need shelter, Lord. I need enough money to buy food for each day. Yes, Lord. Oh, Lord, may we have enough to live on just for today, just this single day. And give us today our daily bread is also then an unbidden prayer. A walking prayer. Give us today our daily bread is more than just a nice nod to God for keeping us alive each day. Daily bread commits us to a certain relationship with God. This is one of the most relational prayers we find in the New Testament. When our children are young and cannot feed themselves, they are dependent upon us. Yes? Our our little children belong to us. And what we mean is, uh, this is exactly what we mean when we say we are children of God. It's, it's, a, it's a statement of belonging. Who do I belong to? I am a child of God. Without God's food, we starve to death, spiritually speaking. And so it's for this reason that I believe daily bread may be the most serious of all prayers. We either pray the prayer like a bungee jumper who trusts their bungee rope, Or we just watch video of other bungee jumpers and convince ourselves that we too could maybe someday be a bungee jumper without ever bungee jumping. We are good-hearted, well-intentioned, thrill-seeking who are completely out of touch with the reality of bungee jumping. So somehow, this kind of Christian passes for real Christianity these days. And our great mistake with God 
is to think of Jesus as really irrelevant to our everyday living, to our daily bread. Dr. Dallas Willard, uh, one of my favorite authors, um, he's passed a few years ago, uh, dean of philosophy, by the way, at University of Southern California, um, states, and by the way, from Buffalo, Missouri, you know, when you're heading down 13 to go to Springfield, the little sign says Buffalo, that's where he's from, isn't it amazing? Dallas Willard says this, the real world has little room for God of sparrows and children. To it, Jesus can only seem otherworldly, a good-hearted person out of touch with the reality. Yes, it must be admitted that he's influential, but only because he affirms what weak-minded, faint-hearted individuals fantasize in the face of a brutal world. He is like a cheerleader who continues to shout, we're going to win, even though the score is 98-3 to against us in the last minute of the game. So says Willard in Divine Conspiracy. Willard declares that Jesus is simply not relevant to most of us in how we live our daily life. Furthermore, Willard accurately assesses why many Christians who attempt to believe in Jesus find it impossible to actually follow Jesus because Jesus has nothing to do with the real world of sleeping and eating and raising children and going to work and cashing paychecks and going to the doctor and playing sports and enjoying hobbies and driving the car and cooking and watching television and shopping and fast food drive-ins and bodily functions and all of the normal life that, that crashes into it's unexplainable, like illness and death and dying and all of it that it belongs. Do we even ever attempt to bring God into the picture of daily life? This is the, the God who shows up when we don't have any other answers. This is the God of the gaps, as it's called. In Europe, 2% church attendance. 40% for a funeral. God of the gaps. Oh, when somebody dies and we can't explain anything, then I guess we'll show up. Otherwise, what do I need God for? And for vibrant, healthy, affluent, busy, competent suburbanites like us, pat ourselves on the back, we have few gaps where we actually depend upon God. This is why, uh, this is the reason why the Bible so often talks about bread as a metaphor for the spiritual life. Bread. It's that perfect metaphor for the spiritual life. Nothing speaks louder to us than our stomach right? The gut. Food is theological. That's why this Labor or Memorial Day weekend, you will gather with people and eat. Too much, but you will eat. Because food is human and it brings us together. We eat daily. We eat routinely. Our lives are full of routines and rhythms. We are people of habits. If you didn't have habits, you would simply die. Literally, you would die if you didn't have habits. Funny thing is, is that we need to think, we think that we think our way into our spiritual life. Uh, for the last 550 years, we think we think our way, in, since the Enlightenment and rationalism, we think we think our way into the spiritual life, into a deeper relationship with God. I mean, after all, I am teaching right now, and you are listening, and you are processing, making little micro decisions about what you agree with and what you don't agree with. And we're supposed to learn something. And we're supposed to use our brain to deepen our soul. 
But the brain is not nearly as strong a teacher as the stomach. The stomach is the real teacher, right? The stomach is the thing we really listen to. All I have to say is pepperoni pizza. Oh, fried chicken, spicy fried chicken. All I have to say is beef burrito, enchilada, aioli sauce, or however you pronounce it. All you have to do is begin to talk about food, and suddenly you're like, I know what I need to do. I need to march myself out here as soon as this guy quits, and I'm going to get something to eat. And I'm going to go to Culver's, and I hope this guy stops preaching before the Baptists get there. (laughs) That stomach is a teacher. And it instructs us stronger than our mind ever will. And that's why the Bible talks about bread all the time. Because it's really sacred script. Over the years, I've suggested that I use the word um, manatize. You know, manna in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Exodus story, manna. In the Hebrew, it means what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. It literally means manna means what is this stuff. You know, manna. Manna, the mysterious wafer-like bread for lack of a better term, I'm not even sure that's what it was. We don't know, even today. It was a wafer-like stuff that the Hebrews had to collect every morning while they wandered in the desert on a three-week journey that took 40 years. And so they got bread every day, manna. They were manatized, you know. And the Hebrews couldn't save it up, right? They, they couldn't save up the manna. If you saved it up, it rotted, except on Friday, because then you could save it for the Sabbath, and it somehow would last two days on that day. But every other day, if you tried to eliminate manna for a day, your daily bread for a day, then it rotted and you didn't have anything to eat. I mean, the object lesson is super duper simple, obvious. Hey, depend on God every day. It just shows up. That's how you eat. Got it. I understand. Manatize your life. Manatize your life. Man is this daily reminder to the Hebrews that they're absolutely dependent on God for their next meal. Obviously, I mean, this is bottom shelf lesson with God. How do we manatize our lives in this day? We don't go out in our front yard and pick up manna, right? How do we design our, our day to remind us of our daily bread dependency on God? Well, if you, if you want the obvious manatized moment, then go home today, this holiday weekend, and bake some bread for dinner. Like, make some bread. Make, bake bread for dinner. This is where you're doing that micro decision, like, that's not going to happen. But nonetheless, entertain me for a moment. So, you'll see. You'll see that you have to babysit the bread if you bake bread from scratch, right? You've got to babysit. You say, like, what, what? What, you've got to turn the oven on to 350 degrees at some critical point. I think it's 350 degrees. Uh, I don't know. Obviously, I'm not a bread baker. Um, it has, you've got to reach in the fridge, and you've got to pull out that long tube that says Pillsbury on it, and then you've got to pop it open, you know, and you've got bread, right? You've made bread. And then you stand there in front of the oven saying, are you done yet? Are you done yet? Are you done yet? And, you know, like, no, 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 no. That's, this is not what we're talking about. Pillsbury Doughboy, this is not what we're talking about at all. We're talking about real bread. You know, the stuff with the yeast that smells weird. 
and the warm water, but not too warm and not too cold, and the right amount of sugar or honey, and you know, then you get all granola at this point, but not really granola, and it bubbles and it foams or it doesn't. Start over. Uh, and then you add the flour and you mix it in, make sure it's the right, correct kind of flour, not just any old flour. And then you knead it, as in knead. You knead the bread, you knead the bread, and then you smack it around. Diane Barr, here for years, said, you've got to get violent with the bread when you make it. I don't know if that was just a personal issue, Diane. Hope you're watching. Uh, but I think she was right. You've got to punch it. Um, it. She says, I could get out all my aggressions just smacking the bread. And, and then you let it rise, which takes much longer than you thought. And then you're ready, right? No. Insult to injury is, is you have to pound it down again and let it rise again. Maybe, actually, nobody really has to do that. But just the people who invented this whole idea just want to torture us and say, like, oh, you think you're ready after hours of letting it rise. Just punch it down and start over. And then maybe by about 10 o'clock tonight, you'll have some bread. <laughs> That's how you bake bread. <laughs> the whole point of the whole thing is that it takes time. You can't hurry bread. It's, it's a daily thing. I mean, people who actually really break, bake bread have a day where they bake bread for the week. You know what I mean? Like it's a big effort. The lesson's simple. Making and baking bread takes a long time. Notice Jesus didn't say, I am the microwave popcorn of life. He said, I'm the bread of life. Spirituality is slow. Prayer is slow. Daily bread is slow. The evidence is building. Our pace of life is destroying what we want, which is the good life. The pace of life. And I know this you know, you expect preachers to say this stuff, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it. But, but see what you can do with it, okay? Because the, the digital algorithm that we're all so entertained with by the Netflix, you know, documentary and so forth, the digital algorithm that's accelerated our life to the point where life has become this narrow echo chamber, right? And you're getting, you're, you've designed your own feed, that tells you what to think. And it's not that other side, it's your side, right? And, and the research is building, the research is building that our current social anger and polarization is because humans cannot process, process the amount of information that we have developed. That's where things are heading. We don't like that idea. We think we're just completely brilliant, but we aren't. We've actually done something beyond our, our capabilities, which is really curious, right? You know, yeah, dude, you sound just like the guys who said horses were way too fast for the human spirit. This is G.K. Chesterton saying, I don't like horses because a British, proper British man was meant to walk. And then the car came along, and he's like, whatever. So, <laughs> you know, in 2017, when I was working on doctorate stuff, I came across some sociology studies because I had privileged all these sociology and psychology databases and um, I came across several sociology studies that said wearables, you know, wearables, like you guys with your watches and every other tag that's embedded in you and so forth. Wearables cause sleep deprivation. And just to say, cell phone causes sleep deprivation. You know, wearables, those devices that measure your steps, they measure your heart rate, they measure your calories and blah, 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 and on and on and on. 
Uh, even, you know, your clothes these days are wearables. They, they have measurements to them and so forth. And as such, they actually cause you more stress than these things are supposed to reduce is what's going on. Sleep deprivation is the common denominator, the common denominator behind hypertension, heart disease, respiratory illness. Sleep deprivation greatly accelerates diabetes, mental illness, digestive illnesses, and so forth. It goes on and on and on. Sleep deprivation is the worst thing for us. Not getting enough sleep, solid sleep. And other studies that I ran into showed that simply sleeping with your cell phone causes sleep deprivation. The studies showed that people don't sleep soundly when you use your cell phone as your alarm clock. The researchers who were doing this research at the end when they made their comments and were asking about these sort of studies said like, I will never ever use a wearable or sleep with my cell phone. It will make you sick. And I mean the large kind of sick. The researchers suggested that people charge your phone in another room and get yourself a good old-fashioned go to Target and buy a $15 red alarm clock. And they said red because blue will keep you awake. Make sure your alarm clock, your LED, remember LED alarm clocks, are red. Oh, yeah, by the way, switch your phone to where it does the night shift thing, you know, that's supposed to do that. And at this point, the screen that you're watching me on just got really small. Like, dude, I am not not sleeping on my phone. I'm just saying, like, then you will lose sleep. The research shows. Okay? Do what we want with that. Now, if you've ever baked bread, you know you can't hurry bread. And we just don't bake bread very much anymore. We're just living too fast. We live in a day of pre-sliced packaged bread, and somebody else baked the bread for us. And uh, we just go to the store, grab it, and, and then we get in the express lane, you know, when you're checking out with your bread. Um, and then you get frustrated because the express lane next to you is somehow moving faster than you, even though there was less people in your lane. And then you're frustrated in life. We live in a, in a convenient, instant world of bread machines. You just throw the whole thing in and walk away. And out pops a loaf of bread. This is exactly the temptation that, that the old Christians back in the day called sloth. You know, sloth. Not the three-toed kind, but really close to that. Sloth is what the early Christians expressed a concern over, right? Sloth is not so much laziness, but the habit of not persevering, of not completing a task. It wasn't just being a couch potato. It was actually just being random, living a random life. Sloth is not, not this couch potato thing as much as just being crazy, running around with no intention or not knowing Basically running around like a chicken with your head cut off. Not completing any one thing is the true definition then of sloth. It's not just being lazy. For example, not making time to bake bread then would be sloth. Right? Bread making takes hours or other things like it. You'll do well when you mow the lawn to not put in your wearables. And then try to catch up on your iPods or your, I mean, your podcast or, you know, things like that. 
Just let it go silent. This last year, I was up at Conception Abbey, and the abbot, the head dude, travels all the time, not there most of the time, very busy, important man. I'm out walking this two-mile trail, walking, no, no, um, you know, nothing in my ears or anything like that. And here comes the abbot on a riding lawnmower with headphones on. I'm like, the head dude is mowing the grass. Like, whoa, he's like Mr. Humble. So next day I talk to him. I run into him. I go, so you're the guy who cuts the grass out there on the trail. He goes, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Just me and the mower. None of this. And he kind of did this sort of thing. Like none of these people I have to take care of. No budgets, no spreadsheets or nothing. Just me and the mower, man, for hours. That's his solitude. I'm like, you're a monk. And you still need to mow the grass? Yep. Strange things. All of this is what kills us. That's why I changed my job in 2008. It was a big step for me. And I started leading solitude and silence retreats at a monastery in the middle of nowhere, Missouri. The same place where this monk is, right? A bunch of monks. Retreat is a wake-up call. A retreat is the soul doctor's recommendation for hurry sickness. That thing where you actually just are ill because of the pace of life, you know? So this fall, every few years, it's kind of a rare window opens up. And this fall, I'll start leading a new group of about 10 people on a solitude and silence retreat at this same monastery, two hours north of here up by Maryville, in the middle of nowhere, Missouri. And retreat is this wake-up call, and it's this, this treatment that we need. And I'm inviting you to check it out. You can come to the first retreat. You're like, not my cup of tea. Monks, monastery. Mm. Or, you know, like, I'd never, like, one man told me, he said, like, I'll never go to that. Like, sitting around all day praying and trying to think up junk to say to Jesus all day long. Like, that's drive me crazy. And you're like, well, it's not like that. Talk to your fellow Lakelanders who've done retreat, and you'll see what they say. They're like, eh, it's not like that at all. What it does do is it turns you back into a human being instead of a human doing. And it settles you down. And you get, to, you get to define yourself. I've seen people simply walk over to the graveyard where you see original Irish and German immigrants from the 1820s, and their graves are there. And they'll, they'll, they'll walk over, and they'll sit on the bench, and they'll say, I don't know why, but I just started crying. And then I got out a little piece of paper, and I started writing down, why am I crying? And pretty soon they're saying, like, because I haven't thought about my mom or my dad or that thing that went so wrong so many years ago and in years. Oh. Well, you're not going to do that standing in the checkout line at Hy-Vee. Not real well, anyway. When do we make the space and when do we make the time for that sort of thing? And that's why I offer these retreats because it's the only thing I can find that gets people at the feet of Jesus and teaches them how to bake bread metaphorically speaking manitize your life go for a walk if you don't want to do the retreat go for a walk, no music, no podcast no audiobook, no, no wearables go for a walk sit by a lake watch the birds you're like, dude you sound like you're saying that we should all just go join the nursing home like maybe Maybe, 
bake bread, read the Psalms, write in your journal. This is prayer. This is this unbidden, unconscious monk prayer (laughs) where you just wait upon God. Be still and know that I am God. This unbidden, unconscious prayer, this is the beginning. This is the daily bread. This is the other side of daily bread. Other than the stuff like, I need some food today. This is the one that says, I need to have God as my food. Here we are, guys. Here we are, Memorial Day weekend. And it's intended to be this national holiday to honor our loved ones and, um, and those who've paid the highest price to serve the rest of us. And yet this holiday is clouded by a nation that cannot seem to stop school shootings and injustice and marginalization of all sorts of classes of people. And I believe Christ and Christians are still the answer. They are still the answer. If we would follow Jesus, Christians, brothers and sisters, if we would follow Jesus rather than our news feeds and rather than sensationalism, Jesus, rather than who's in and who's out, Jesus teaching us to feed on him as our daily bread, then the kingdom of heaven will come on earth as in heaven, just like we are about to pray in a few moments. This is what we have been gifted and charged with, brothers and sisters. We are in charge of bringing about the Holy Spirit as the kingdom of God on earth. It gets done this way. With your one lifetime, you have been given this mission. We step up instead of getting swept along in the current, the current of, of society. This is how we change the world. And when Christians do this, the world changes. And when they don't, nothing changes. It's just that simple. Amen. Go in peace, everyone.